Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. in sight and then to walk in and not to just see statues <laughs> but to see people that are engaged in the in the worship of the Lord amen you act like you're happy to be here tonight praise God and may we feel the same way when we leave here only just greatly even more greatly encouraged in the Lord amen I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Matthew chapter 3 book of Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. I mentioned something Sunday that kind of said something in my heart. Uh, teaching about Barnabas, I talked a little bit about John. And uh, I just want to kind of maybe link a little bit of that together if the Lord will help me and uh, help us this evening in the book of Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11. These are the words of John the, the Baptist who said I indeed baptize you with water under repentance but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire amen I mentioned just a little bit Sunday about how that Barnabas served in a capacity to encourage Paul with a clear understanding that Paul's ministry in the eyes of man would probably be greater than his own ministry, but he served nonetheless diligently. And I likened that to John the Baptist. And, and this evening, I just want to talk a little bit about John. Amen. Thank you for standing, and you can be seated. And uh, let's just stay connected here for a little while. What do you say? I want to speak about the humility of John. And I understand that at first glance, the, most of the times when we talk about John the Baptist and think about him, we almost have one mental image of him, and that is that mental image of a man who is almost a wild man who comes out of the wilderness um, I don't know about you, I guess we all sort of have mental images in our mind of, of Bible characters. I've, I've never pictured John as uh, one who ever took a Dale Carnegie course or anything like that. Just kind of said whatever was on his mind, rather unfiltered. We picture him as that man who wore, who ate locusts and wild honey and, and uh, had a strange wardrobe. But really and truly, all of those things being said and true, I think one of the often overlooked aspects of the life and the ministry of John the Baptist was his true humility. He understood who he was. And I think equally as important, he understood who he wasn't. And he was comfortable enough in his skin to operate in the context of that knowledge. And so it would help us tonight to be able to do the very same thing. I've often said, I, I think that, speaking of myself, there are certain things that if I were called on to do, if somebody said, hey, we need somebody to come preach such and such event, there are some things that I clearly realize that are beyond the purview of my calling. And I would just have to say, I, I appreciate the invitation, but I think you probably need to look somewhere else. And there are other things that I would feel much more comfortable with. And I, I think you maybe understand that uh, illustration, and I, I think that we all have 
areas that we just understand this is where we work best. That's not to say God doesn't and, and will not challenge us from time to time out of our comfort zone, but overall, I think the Lord understands how that we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. And with that in mind, he understands where we would best serve in the kingdom of the Lord. There are some people that would, uh, that would just, if you were to hand them the microphone and ask them to make an announcement, that would take them so far out of their comfort zone, um, they may just even faint on the spot. But if you gave them a, a responsibility that would allow them to work perhaps in the shadows and, and um, maybe that was where they would just absolutely rise to the challenge and, and they would serve well. And of course, there's all kind of points in between there and so it's incumbent for us to find where God would use us and then serve in whatever capacity we certainly need to serve with, with humility. Humility, I think, is a very powerful characteristic that that certainly is a tremendous contributing factor to the effectiveness of leadership because anyone can drive people or you can attempt to drive people but it takes some real grace to lead people and um, and so there is there is a world of difference they're not even related to drive things or to lead things and so we need to have a tremendous spirit of humility. I think, of course, when I say humility, I'm not talking about weakness or things of that nature. David said to Solomon that you, there certainly are times you're gonna to have to stand and show thyself a man. <laughs> in other words, there's gonna be times that you have to dig your heels in the ground. And, and, uh, but, but most importantly, we need the spirit of humility to blanket what we do. And so I think that John was one such leader. Uh, with a great with great humility, and I, I mentioned a moment ago with with a recognition of his specific role in in the kingdom of God. What an important role to be the the man that would introduce Jesus Christ to the world. But nevertheless, John, this was sort of his um, this was sort of the motto that that he lived by: He must increase, and I must decrease. And so to understand that those were not just words with John. He didn't just say that to sound good or that was kind of some little fitting uh, saying to put on a political sign somewhere, but certainly John got it. He understood that if the Lord is going to increase, then that must mean that I must decrease. And so there was a certain and a smooth transition to that. The scripture declares that, that John the Baptist and John 1 and 6 was a man sent from God. And so there is no debate about his origin or there's no debate about his calling. But everything about John seemed to have just an extraordinary mark, everything about him. One writer seemingly summarized the ministry of John by likening him to a meteorite. He said he lit up the dark world of unbelief by drawing the attention to Jesus Christ and then like a meteorite, his flame went out. He served his purpose, he did his job, he did it well, but he understood the context in which he served. And so this evening I would like us, if we can, with the help of the Lord, let's just look around some of his oddities that we've highlighted all through the years, even in our own mind, and let's discover a man of real humility. This genuine humility earned him the distinction of Jesus calling him the greatest prophet ever born. As the forerunner, John the Baptist was privileged to introduce the world to Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophetically called him the voice that cries in the wilderness. So John showing up on the scene, although he startled a world awake, he did not come unannounced. Isaiah hundreds of years before had said, there is one coming, there is one coming, there is one coming. Not only did John catch the attention of the world of the first century, but of course, his voice shattered 400 years of silence and darkness. Although many went out into the wilderness to hear John and, and they responded to his ministry by being baptized, not everybody responded favorably, of course. Because John just wasn't a man to mince words. He just sort of told it like it was. And if you were tough enough, God bless you. And if you weren't, well, God help you. Amen. <laughs> 
And that didn't, that didn't win him a whole lot of popularity contests. As a matter of fact, he made the wife of Herod, a lady by the name of Herodias in Scripture, so angry that she devised one of the most unbelievable plots of all time to take his life. And she successfully did just that. Therefore, King Herod executed the greatest prophet that would ever live. That was how John ended his life. He was beheaded. From the very beginning about John, the very beginning of his life, it's so intriguing. His father's name was Zacchaeus and he was a priest and his wife, Elizabeth, they could not have any children. So while Zacchaeus was fulfilling his priestly duties in the temple one day, he was just going about doing what he did. He was working in his calling. An angel by the name of Gabriel appeared unto him and he said this in Luke 1 and 1. He said, fear not, Zacchaeus, for thy prayer is heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. So here is Zacchaeus, the priest. He's in the temple. He's doing what priests do in the temple. He is working and serving his, in his capacity in that ministry. And, and uh, while he was busy working for the Lord, doing what he would have done on any ordinary day, an angel appeared to him Amen. He appeared to him where he was working. I think there's a real message in that for us. He didn't pray about something and then just sit down on a rock and wait for the Lord to answer, but he apparently had prayed about this time and time again, but in the middle of that prayer, in the midst of that prayer season, he just continued to serve the Lord. And so we can all take something home from that tonight and realize that we've got a lot of prayers being offered up this evening each and every one of us on an individual level and certainly as a church, we have got a lot of prayers going up as a congregation, but while we're praying about those certain things, you know what we're doing? We're just continuing to have church, amen, and we are just having church as usual and trying to keep our shoulder to the wheel, and I believe in the midst of being not just busy for the sake of being busy, but in the midst of doing uh, what God has called us to do, the Lord can speak to us emphatically. Often while we're doing the work of the God, that's when the Lord shows up. Jesus' first miracle of turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee was one such occasion where the Lord took the water, the Jewish purification water that was muddy and murky from people washing their hands and their face and their feet. And he turned that water. He said to those servants, he said, fill those water pots to the brim. And then somewhere between Jesus and the governor, that water was turned to wine. But again, it all happened in the context of servanthood. While they were serving, while they were working, while they were doing what the Lord had commissioned them to do, a mighty miracle took place in their midst. Amen. So I think tonight that it, it is in our best interest to just stay busy. Amen, do what God has called us to do, not fret over unanswered prayers or not fret over things that haven't come to pass in the timeline in which we think they should. As miraculous as this event was for Zacchaeus, he had a hard time believing that it was going to happen and before we charge him too harshly, we need to understand that we are all much the same way. Luke 18 and one in part says, and Zacchaeus said to the angel that it had come to tell him, your prayers have been heard. He has a mighty angelic visitation with a named angel. <laughs> this is not a vapor blowing in the wind. And Zacchaeus says, whereby shall I know this? Or another translation says, how can I be sure this is true? <laughs> I'm pretty sure if an angel was commissioned from heaven and is visiting you in the temple, there's an outside chance this is gonna happen. Amen. As much as he and Elizabeth had prayed for this miracle child, when the angel made that announcement, the only thing he could do is what we often do is we look at all of our inabilities and, and Zacchaeus was thinking about how old he was and how old his wife was and, and uh, I believe that we would have more miracles probably in our midst and in our lives if we didn't allow the circumstances of our lives at that particular moment to be the deterrent. Now this unbelief, <coughs> this moment of unbelief, interestingly and oddly enough, came with a price tag. 
I mean, Zacchaeus asked one, what we may say in our flesh, innocent question. How can I be sure this is true? When that doubt entered in the scene, that doubt came with a price tag. And that price tag was in that instant, the Lord smote him mute. He could not talk. I've said many times, and if you've heard me say this, I uh, just bear with me one time. I won't apologize. I almost said I'm sorry, but just bear with me one more time. I think it's a sad thing that he couldn't talk during her pregnancy. There were a lot of things that he could have shared in. He simply had to shrug his shoulders. <laughs> Amen. There were a lot of things he may have had something to say, some input in the situation, but he was certainly limited no matter how much he may have written down or how much sign language they may have learned because they did communicate some, to some degree, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but he was nevertheless hampered in his ability to freely talk about this miracle that was going on in their life. On a, at least perhaps a, a weekly basis, they could see changes in her body and things that were going on. There was evidence that there was a miracle that was in her womb and he was robbed of the ability to say anything about that. He returned home and at the appointed time, Elizabeth gave birth to the very child that the Lord said would happen, John the Baptist. When John was eight days old, his parents brought him to be circumcised and those that were in charge we're going to name him according to scripture. They were going to name him Zacchaeus. They were going to name him after his father's sake. But Elizabeth spoke up and said that his name would be John. Now, none of the family apparently had ever used a name like this. So according to scripture, and this is what I was referring to a moment ago, they made signs to Zacchaeus concerning his name. I don't know how formal or informal this was, but it was successful because when they made signs to Zacchaeus concerning his name, the Bible says in Luke 1, and if you can read somewhere between, I think, verses 59 and 63 or 64 somewhere, the Bible says that he asked for a tablet or he asked for something to write on and he wrote down what the angel had promised him in verse 13 or when this all happened. The Lord didn't just send an angel to say you're gonna have a child, but he completed that and he said, and his name will be called John. And no doubt he had communicated that somewhere along the way because when the family was trying to name him Zacchaeus, Elizabeth spoke up and said his name was gonna be John. When they inquired of Zacchaeus with a sign, he asked for a tablet, and the Bible says that, that he wrote down that his name was to be called John. And the Bible says in Luke 1 and 64, what an amazing intersection here, that when he embraced this promise, this child of promise, in the 64th verse, the Bible says, and his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loose and he spake and praised God. Amen. Whenever the Lord, whenever rather, whenever Zacchaeus embraced the promise of the Lord, his name will be John. Amen. We find him in verses, in these verses 62, 63, somewhere along in there, we find him, amen, still on the other side of the promise. But when he embraced it, when he wrote that down, he connected himself back to verse 13, just for our reference sake. He connected himself back to verse 13 where the angel said his name will be called John. And John said, I've got one more open window of opportunity. I'm gonna step through that and say, we're not naming him Zacchaeus. We're gonna name him John. That's what the angel said. And at that moment, God gave him the miracle. At that moment, he began to prophesy as a Spirit of the Lord moved on him. In verse number 76, there's several verses here that give this prophecy about his son. But in verse number 76, uh, uh, the father says, and thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. The prophet of the highest. What a title. Amen. This was spoken through the mouth of, of Zacchaeus, but it was a word of prophecy, so I believe it was the Lord that called him the prophet of the highest. John the Baptist was called the prophet of the highest before, amen, right here at this moment, right here when he is in, uh, in, their, in their lives. It was in harmony with what Isaiah had prophesied hundreds of years earlier. As the prophet of the Lord, John the Baptist lived a separated life. 
He understood again where he was. He dwelled in the wilderness away from the city, away from the enticements. Amen, there's a good message in that for us. Amen, we ought to put a little separation between us and the world. Amen, away from those enticements, put a little bit of distance there, especially when we recognize that God has a call upon our lives. And I believe that we all have that call upon our lives. And so if we'll recognize that and embrace that, it will cause us to put a little more real estate between us and those alluring things. Amen. For centuries, uh, for centuries, herald trumpeters have majestically signaled the coming of a king. And so John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness, as Isaiah put it, trumpeted the coming of the Messiah in the first century. When the last of Malachi's prophetic utterances fell silent at the end of the Old Testament, God spoke no more officially through prophets for 400 years until the coming of John the Baptist. Now it's an interesting thing, or at least it was to me, to compare the last words of the Old Testament prophets to the first words of the New Testament prophets. Amen, because God doesn't just leave the church in limbo. He is going to close up that gap. There were 400 years of silence but God did bridge that gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Malachi 4 and 5, let's read this. The scripture says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <coughs> Matthew 3 and 1, this is not on the screen, but Matthew 3 and 1 and 2 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of, uh, of heaven is at hand. And so here's these dark years of silence that are broken by the voice of John the Baptist, amen, saying you need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now in our text from Luke 1, this is what we read. In Luke 1 and 16, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God and he shall go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Doesn't that have a similar ring? <laughs> and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Amen. Now, just for the sake of comparison, let me jump back here. In Malachi 4 and 6, amen, the Bible said in 5 and 6, he said, I'm gonna send Elijah the prophet, and he shall turn the heart, in verse number 6, of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth. Amen. Now, in Luke number 1 and 17, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It seems obvious to me that John the Baptist is coming in the spirit of Elijah. Amen. In his coming as the, in the spirit of Elijah is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi. Amen. He came in the spirit of Elijah. It's interesting to note what Jesus said concerning all of this, and that is found in Matthew 17 and 10. The Bible says, and his disciples asked him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must come first? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. He said he's here. Amen. He's here and some missed it. He is here. John was the voice crying out in the wilderness that Isaiah said, linking this, linking this, linking this, linking this, linking this, amen. It is coming slowly but surely now born into the New Testament and I believe that just as John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness that the church today 
Hear me this morning, this evening. I believe with all of my heart that the church is not just a place for social activity. It is not just a place of social activity. The church is a wonderful place to connect and find friends and it's a wonderful place to find strength and encouragement but the church of the living God in this day should be a voice crying in the wilderness. Amen. Uh, that, that is meant to be heard. Amen. Not a voice that is meant to be muted but a voice that is meant to be heard. John the Baptist came with intention. He came out of the wilderness with purpose and the church should move with intention and we should move with purpose. God, help us not to just water down our praise and worship to just the appealing of hearts of men. And Lord knows we ought to pray that we don't just get the preaching and the ministry down to where it just appeals to whatever we want to, to the palate of man. But we need to be a voice that cries in the wilderness. And man, we may not be embraced by everybody. It may not be the most popular message in town. But I'm gonna tell you, I would rather be right and be in heaven than to be popular here. Praise God. Praise God. We are forerunners. We are the churches to prepare people. The church is to prepare people for Jesus. Amen. For the infilling of the Holy Ghost, to have a right relationship with the Lord. That's why that we have the church. And so we need to remember our vow of separation. We need to remember there needs to be some real estate between us and the world. We don't need to think like the world and look like the world and walk and talk and, and, and act like the world. The world and the things of the world should not mesmerize us. Amen. As a matter of fact, it ought to revolt us. It, it ought to sicken us. I'm being very, very serious when you think about the things that are going on in the world. I, I, I watched a video a few days ago. I shared it with a, a couple of our leaders here in the church and uh, I, I was just watching a supposedly a man leading a worship service that was doing nothing more than just dancing. It was all about him and nothing about the Lord, I promise you thought what a sad day as I watched that it wasn't funny as I watched that it was sad it was sad I thought to myself that the Lord must be grieved at such things amen and I believe that we ought to be grieved by those those things as well and so I ask every adult in this house, amen, I ask every young person in this house, we need to stay strong, amen, we need to stay strong. I pray that we, God would help us to have foundation and, and footing and, and the spiritual fortitude, amen, the internal fortitude or just have the guts, if you wanna say it that way, to stand up for what is right and not just stand one time but to keep standing, keep standing. I mean, it was prophesied that, that John the Baptist coming, that John the Baptist coming would affect the reunion of estranged parents and children. Now that's an odd thing to read about in Malachi and then to read about it again in the New Testament and then look around us today. Amen. It was prophesied that he would be there to bring parents and children back together again or can I say it this way to bring families back together Malachi 4 and 5 again behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse sin always divides families sin always divides period but it certainly divides families this condition prevailed in the period prior to the silent years when idolatry was so rampant everywhere. And in like fashion, it prevails today whenever we put things before God. It breaks down the family. Amen, yes it does. I'm gonna tell you that the devil is working overtime. I've said this for years and years and years and years and please don't think I'm being sarcastic, but you don't have my point of view. I've said this for years and I've watched people look at me like I've lost my mind when I tell you that the enemy is working overtime to destroy families. I'm gonna tell you that I've said that in more pulpits than just one and I've had stares back that looked at me like, not my family. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're thinking about, but I'm gonna ask you, I don't know what you're thinking about. 
Because it doesn't matter how long you've lived for God. It doesn't matter how long you've invested in this. The enemy doesn't care. He's not just after young married couples. He's not just after middle-aged married. He'll take you anywhere at any juncture of our life. Amen, to just put that wedge and drive that wedge in between us. And so I say, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Amen, John the Baptist said, we've got to pull this back together. Amen, we have, it is Satan's business to disrupt. Amen, I, when I talk about families, I am talking about the literal family, but can I tell you that he's in the business of trying to destroy spiritual families as well. Amen, he wants to work overtime. It's his business to disrupt, to divide, whether it's families, whether it's churches, or whether it's nations. He'll take little or he'll take much. He'll take whatever ground we'll give him. But it's God's business to strengthen them. And so God's gonna send Elijah or he's gonna send someone in the spirit of Elijah, amen, that's gonna say there's one coming that can put all this back together. There's one that comes that's gonna strengthen. There's one, he's not in the... He's not in the business of dividing, but he's in the business of pulling together. Hallelujah. And I'm gonna tell you today that whether we're talking about a a natural family or whether we're talking about a spiritual family, let me be real specific. Let's just talk about Hatchman Apostolic Church tonight. Amen. The devil would love to divide and destroy and put dissension here and put dissension there, but the Lord would say, but I'm a binder of these things. I can pull us together. And so I say, Lord, let me acquiesce to your power and to your spirit and to your presence and don't let me get divided in my heart and don't let me get divided in my spirit but bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Amen. Together we can do so much more than we can apart. And so we gotta be aware of the offense that, of the offensive that hell has launched to destroy whatever is unified. He wants to take it and tear it apart. And I mean that literally, whether we're talking about families or churches I mentioned a moment ago, but let me come back to it because you may have missed it, even nations. Amen. I'm gonna just slip up on a soapbox for 15 seconds, so just hang on. But who would have ever dreamed some things that are going on in America would be going on and who would have ever dreamed it would have been embraced? And so the devil can divide nations. So if he can divide a nation, we're foolish to think he can't show up at our home address and knock on our door. Amen, we're foolish. And so we've gotta be aware of that. And so that's why we've gotta fight sin regardless of who's trying to legalize it and regardless of who's trying to popularize it. Amen, the church needs to stand. Amen. We need to be a voice. We need to be a voice that stands clear in this hour. As more and more people adopt evil ways of the world, it becomes more and more difficult, let's just be real, to stand and guide and walk in the right direction. It does. Because we are swimming upstream now. There was a time in America, sin has always been, but there was a time in America where there was such a broad base of Christianity and Christian thinking and Christian upbringing and, and, and things of that nature until by and large we were all walking in sort of the same direction. I had someone ask me one time and, and they were sincere in their question and I was sincere in my response. They said, I just want to know, you know, they were, they were older from a, several generations ago, so to speak. And they said, it just seems like when I was young that when people got the Holy Ghost, they got the real Holy Ghost. They got the Holy Ghost on Friday night and on Sunday morning they all cleaned up. I said, well, I understand what you're talking about. A, I think the Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. And the same Holy Ghost back then is the same Holy Ghost today. I think the difference is is that in your day there was a moral compass. And if people were living together and they weren't married, I don't care what tag was over the door, they were shacking up. That's right. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came tonight? 
that was just the moral culture. That wasn't a church thing. I mean, people that didn't even darken a church house door, they knew that wasn't right. And people that were drinking and carrying on and partying, they were doing all that, but they knew it was wrong. And so because there was a moral compass in the world, when somebody got the Holy Ghost, they knew where to go. They knew which way to turn and, and how far that didn't, that doesn't mean they didn't need any teaching or things of that nature, but there was a moral base. And today there is such an absence of a moral base. My, my, my. I'm going to tell you, and, and I, I mean this respectfully, but we live in a very protected environment. <laughs> but everybody here wasn't raised that way. And the world that we're living in today is very vile and corrupt. Amen. The, the, the ladies and the gentlemen here who not only work in prison ministry, but we have people in our, in our part of our church family that work in, in law enforcement in various levels. And, and I promise you, they can tell you that on a daily basis, they meet people that have no moral compass whatsoever. And it's not because they're just of their resident evil. They've had nobody to teach them. They've had no one to show them. Now, we're far enough down this lane that we can say that they did not only did they not have parents to teach them the right way, their parents didn't have parents to teach them the right way. <laughs> well, I, I meandered off my notes, so I better get back or we'll be here for a while probably. I met a young lady some time ago let me just meander a little further. I met a young lady some time ago that was telling me that she was a fourth generation hippie. I thought hippies were gone. I really did. And uh, <laughs> not sure why I mentioned that, but we'll just move right on. <laughs> I was... Like, really? I didn't know. I didn't know. It was an interesting conversation, I'll say that. <laughs> she had, I'll tell you this. She had, she had, <laughs> I, just, I just thought of a little bit more. <clears throat> How many of you are, maybe know, or if you don't maybe hopefully follow them, but you've heard of the uh, old rock band called The Grateful Dead? Okay. I think more of you have heard of them than that, but anyway... <laughs> I'll let that go. <laughs> I'll, I'll let that go. But uh, they have a great following of people that follow them all around called deadheads. And they follow them from city to city to city. This is serious. I had, I've known about that for years. But her parents and grandparents were deadheads. And they had followed and they didn't ever have, have a job. They just went around all around city to city to Grateful Dead concerts. Yeah, just free of charge. That was the rest of the story there, absolutely. <laughs> Let's get back to John. He's feeling left out right now. <laughs> he, was, he was the center of attention for so long that all of a sudden we just left him by the way. <laughs> Amen. So we got to stand for what is right. I don't know how I've, I'm looking at my notes where I left off and where I am right now. I apologize. I really do apologize. Isaiah 40 and 3. <laughs> I'm going to prop this thing up like this so I can really stay on track here. Isaiah 40 and 3. Isaiah prophesied that John the Baptist would, would prepare the way of the Lord. And then the scripture says that he would do this, that he would make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In other words, John was going to line this up. He was going to leave a clear path Amen, a clear path. And I'm thankful for clear paths, aren't you? Paths that leave no doubt, paths that only speak of certainty, and I'm thankful for that tonight. I'm really, really, really thankful for that. I was texting with a friend of mine just yesterday, and we were just talking about how good the Lord had been to us. 
And so he said this to me. He said, I am thankful for our fellowship and our friendship. But he said, I am indebted to so many for creating such a stable environment to raise a family and to serve a church. Listen, he said, the doctrine was settled, the path was laid, and the direction was set. (laughs) Hallelujah. And he said, I'm glad I was raised in an environment. Amen, because I was raised in an environment where the doctrine was settled, and the path was laid, and the direction was set, it created a safe atmosphere for me to raise my family and to serve the Lord. Amen, I'm gonna tell you that we need our children. I don't know what means they'll be communicating in the future, amen, but I I hope one day that somebody says something like that about us. I'm glad I was raised in an atmosphere where there were some things that were settled and the path was already set, decisions were made, bridges were already built, and I I didn't have to make that decision, but somebody had already prayed down some direction. John the Baptist didn't just come as a voice in the wilderness, but he come to make a path straight in the desert. He come to make a straight path in the desert. And so I say, God, help us today, amen, to fall in love again with the power of the Lord. Can you hang in there with me for a little while? Amen. The Bible says it was not God's will, amen, or it was not God's will for the Messiah to come onto the scene without someone, without someone make some kind of announcement or some sort of preparation. Therefore, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Isaiah referred to the coming of the Lord. Now, I want you to hear me now. Isaiah referred to the coming of the Lord or the coming king. He referred to the coming king as Lord. He referred to him as Jehovah and he referred to him as God. But when he came, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. In scripture, I think it's abundantly clear that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ of the New Testament. And so we need to understand that the New Testament church is not some new fandangled idea, amen, but the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was not abolished. No, 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 the Old Testament was not done away with, absolutely not, but that... But, but we are building and standing on the shoulders of the Old Testament prophets. And I say it often, but that's why Simon Peter said on the day of Pentecost that this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is not something new, but this is something that was coming. Amen, John the Baptist was prophesied of Isaiah. Jesus was prophesied of Isaiah. The Holy Ghost infilling with speaking in other tongues was prophesied by Isaiah. We're not out here on thin ice, ladies and gentlemen. We're not out here by ourselves all alone, but we're standing on the broad shoulders of many, many prophets. Praise God. Amen. In in Acts 9 and 5, when Saul asked, Who art thou, Lord? The voice from heaven said, I am Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus Christ is the Lord Jehovah, God Almighty. And so when John the Baptist stated that he baptized with water, but one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Ghost. Amen. John humbly worked in the position that God placed him in. There's one coming after me who is mightier. Now, John, as I've said earlier, may have seemed like son to be a madman, but really, in truth, he was clothed in humility. According to Matthew 3 and 4, his clothes consisted of camel hair and, and just a leather girdle. It was a poor man's apparel at best, but it was appropriate, certainly, for the environment that he lived in. The privileged of the first century enjoyed a diet that included the best of everything, meat and vegetables and fruit and bread, dairy products, whatever the, whatever the world had to offer, that's what they had. But this was not the case with the poor and it was not the case with John the Baptist. He ate what was available. His diet consisted of things that nature provided, things that were close at hand, locusts and wild honey. John was a very unpretentious man. He said things like, he must increase and I must decrease. He said things like, he that cometh after me, he was mightier than I, whose shoes I am not even worthy to bear. John the Baptist had a pulpit indeed, but it was not in the temple or it was not in any other buildings like that. He came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, which was a desert. 
John didn't choose the most beautiful or comfortable setting for people to come to hear him, but they came. <laughs> but they came because he had something to stay. John the Baptist knew he was, who he was and he knew what he was supposed to do. He was comfortable. He was secure in his identity. John simply, as I said about Barnabas, he got it. He understood. John's presence caused a stir among the religious leaders of the day and, and uh, some... <clears throat> had a lot of questions about his identity. They sent a delegation to John to find out who exactly he is. He simply said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John wasn't concerned about titles. He knew what he, who he was and he knew what he was supposed to do. Plain and simple, I am the forerunner of one who is coming that is mightier than I. Amen. When I think about the generations that have served before us, I'm very humbled, and I mean that, I mean that. They served without fanfare, a lot of them without even recognition. They just served. But they served because they knew there was a better day coming. They knew there was a better day coming. Amen. He humbly told them, I am not the Messiah. John, at this particular moment, could have deceitfully taken a lot of attention that people were willing to give him. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? John could have cashed that check. He could have. But he stayed true to his call. And he said, I can only baptize you into repentance, but there's one coming. But there is one coming. I wonder how diligently we could serve if we know up front that our name will not be in the headline. It will not be in the lights. He understood he was a forerunner. And so even when they asked him in, in, in John 1 and 25, let's read this, he said, when they asked him and they said unto him, why baptizest thou then? He said, if, thou, if, thou, if you're not the Christ, why, why would you baptize? Or if you're not Elijah, neither that prophet, then why would you, why are you doing what you're doing? John quickly informed them that he baptized people with water to prepare the way for one that would come. I can get you so far, but there's one coming. The scripture says one will plant, another will water, and God will give the increase. God helped the planters to not get jealous of the waterers. And God helped the people that are doing the watering to not get jealous of those that are giving the increase. Amen? We need to understand the value of serving with humility. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and if you'll stand, we'll bring this to a close. When John saw Jesus approaching the river of Jordan... I think this was the ultimate of the ultimate of the ultimate moments. John had spent all of this time directing the attention away from him. John had spoken boldly and openly about that one that was to come. I can baptize you unto repentance, but one's coming that can baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. So when John saw Jesus approaching the river of Jordan, he made sure that all the attention went to where it was supposed to go. John 1 and 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, if you go back to verse 29, if you will, I want to just make a point. If you've heard this, then then just let it be underlined one more time. But in Genesis 22, when Abraham was walking up the mountain with Isaac, his son, to offer him for a burnt offering, Isaac asked a very legitimate question. We have the fire and we have the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Isaac, Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. We know in that instance that there was a ram caught in the thicket 
But I believe this is the ultimate answer to Isaiah's question, to Isaac's question. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb that will take away the sin of the world. Thank God. Don't ever read John 1 and 29 and just pass by it. Amen. <laughs> Lord, to put our hand over our heart. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He did come. He did come. John went on to say in verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Not only did John understand who he was, he understood who Jesus was. Although the Jews were confused, he certainly was not. He clearly understood. I think that, <clears throat> that John the Baptist's humility was further demonstrated by his preliminary refusal to baptize the Lord. He felt that the lesser should be baptized by the greater. But Jesus said, suffer it not to be so to fulfill all righteousness. You see, sometimes if we're not careful, we will step up to take the spotlight. And John was trying to step back to put the light where it really should have been. And so I think that anybody, certainly anybody, should always make sure that Jesus is at the center. This is not about us, but it's about him. And we should do everything within our power to take the attention off of us as much as we possibly can. We must not forget that we're not the source of the light, we're just a reflection of the light. So he never got caught up in all the public around him, all the crowds that followed him, John was always aware, and I'm going to use this phrase very, very intentionally. John was always aware of his limited ministry. I know that kind of goes counter culture to what we like to think. Kind of goes against the grain, but he was always aware of the fact that I will take this so far, but I must hand it off to someone else. And they're going to take it on. They're going to take it on. Aren't you glad that men like Elijah were not offended when Elisha said, I'll take a double portion. That's a hard thing. But in fact, it was fulfilled. Amen. That he did exactly twice the major miracles in his life and ministry that Elijah did. And so I pray that we can blanket ourselves with humility and let the Spirit of the Lord use us. Can we sing this song, not just as a song, but as a prayer? Amen. As a prayer. And let this be our true self that speaks. Amen. Let's sing and worship the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.